And it is through your practice of your own frequency or your own state of being that you can best help help others. So I wouldn't call myself an instructor. I'm more of a uh, plant medicine Sherpa, you might say, through having used it for 30 years and be able to then understand where others are when they take the plant medicines and they're also exploring those levels of consciousness. Greetings, Gremlins. Welcome to another episode of Rupert Radio. I'm your host, Blake Rupert, and this is the show where we expand our awareness and increase our degrees of freedom. In this episode, I'm speaking with the world-class didgeridoo master, Shine Edgar. Among his many talents, Shine is also a compassionate, insightful plant medicine facilitator. In fact, that's how we first met, deep in ceremony, where I was amazed and astonished by the level of awareness and clarity that Shine brought to our psychedelic practice. So, without further ado, let's dive in. I want to introduce the audience, you guys, to Shine Edgar. Shine is a renowned didgeridoo master, a world fusion artist, and a sound healer. He is also a plant medicine facilitator, and I have a ton of respect for this guy. So, Shine, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Blake. Thanks for having me. I think just to get the ball rolling... I might ask you to introduce yourself in a very particular way. I was hoping you could share a little bit of how it is you came to be involved with psychedelics. Um, yeah, no worries. Um, I'm from Australia originally. And um, in, a, in a, the early 90s, around 1990, 91, was when I first uh, came in touch with uh, psychedelics. And it was around the same time that uh, didgeridoo was put into my hands and I began to learn and shortly after I, I used psilocybin for the first time and some uh, LSD and it had a profound effect on me and it really opened up my didgeridoo playing and uh, be, started me on the path of um, consciousness and using sound for healing. Can you set the stage for us uh, before you met the Dej and before psychedelics? Um, where were you in life? Uh, it's a good question. I was um, in a relationship. I was uh, studying permaculture, so I was becoming a permaculture designer. I had also been a trained nurse, um, spent a lot of time in the bush. Um, my family come from um, country Australia, so... Um, I learned fishing and hunting skills and uh, bush skills um, through my uncle. So I, I like to think I had a fairly well-rounded um, upbringing. And um, I also had some Indigenous Australian Aboriginal heritage on my mother's side. And so uh, I got to spend time with my younger relatives after I left school when I was about 17. And that really opened me up to understanding more about the dreaming and the Indigenous worldview. I'd love for you to share some more of what the dreaming is. Um, yeah, well, in a, in a short statement, it's, it's the understanding or the view that the world is sung into being or that sound vibration is what matter consists of, that we are all eternal and um, they, they have what they call the law or the, the law, the eternal universal law, that we're all one, that we all have a dreaming or a soul purpose. When we live that purpose or dreaming, then we're happy, healthy and whole. 
when we uh, compromise our dreaming, then we can become diseased. So sound healing is about helping us to remember our dreaming or our purpose, and uh, then that leads to good health and wellness. Hmm. And who was it who taught you these things? Um, I started, I learned there were two masters, friends of the family, Nigel and Ted Wilkes, who are Nyunga masters. Uh, they started me off with the didgeridoo. I learned some will, uh, wisdom through my father and uncles and various other people. But then after I was playing didgeridoo for a while, I met a Nyunga elder in southwestern Australia, uh, a woman. She didn't play didgeridoo, but she's extremely wise and uh, she was a renowned healer and painter. And um, I met her and she saw something in me and began to share um, some of that wisdom with me. Hmm. She sounds like a really potent force. What was her name? Her name was Maxine Fumigali. She's passed on now, but she, uh, she certainly was an incredible person. I'd never met anyone like her up until that point. And uh, she really turned my life upside down, to be honest. And that set me on the path that I'm on now. So tell us about that. How did you meet her? Um, well, early on, I'd been playing didgeridoo for a short amount of time. I'd met one other didgeridoo master and uh, he happened to have met her. He went traveling down southwestern Australia. He came back with some extraordinary tales of his time with her. And then um, some six months later or 12 months later, I went to live down in that area. Uh, it's called Denmark. Um, and I was living in a little cabin uh, by a creek and one day I went to just take my clothes and do laundry in the laundromat and it was right beside this uh, Aboriginal art gallery and uh, unbeknownst to me, she was the owner and artist and uh, I was waiting for the clothes to dry and I went into the store and uh, I was looking at some of the artwork and I felt somebody looking at me. I turned around and it was her and, and um, she said, your dream time boy which I, I didn't know what that meant at the time, but she said you're, you're connected to the dreaming and you have a purpose, and then it, it went on from there. And so when it went on, you were, said you were living in a cabin at the time. Um, what, was, what did that relationship look like? Um, yeah, it was, it was extraordinary. It was, you know, to start with, she, she seemed to have a lot of insight into me that no one had really shared before, that I was, I was quite amazed at how much she seemed to know about me. And then, uh, you know, this was about 60 or 80 kilometres from uh, the cabin that I lived in. I was there with a, um, in a relationship, so I was living there with a partner at the time. And then uh, sometimes I would just feel her and um, I would have the urge to go and see her. And, and um, I remember one specific time when I felt the urge to go and visit her. And when I got there, she said to me that she'd been um, wanting me to come, that she'd been calling for me. And then uh, there was a person there, a woman, she said, I want you to play didgeridoo for them. I'm going to help them. And uh, so she got me to play didgeridoo over the person while she worked with them. And uh, that was that was the moment that when I um, learnt about using the didgeridoo for healing and uh that was an extraordinary experience that I'll, I'll never forget. It was life-changing and it was, it was very powerful for the person involved. 
and um, and then after that, I would I would go and spend time with her, and she would share her wisdom with me. Quick follow up for that. Sorry, could you just remind me of this mentor's her first name? Her name was Maxine Fumagelli. Maxime Fumagelli. So for Maxime, she said she was calling you, and somehow you heard her call, and you traveled to to meet her. And yeah. when you arrived there, there was another woman uh, at Maxime's house, and this woman was in distress. Yes, she said. She said, "Oh, you, you, um, you. I've been calling you." Um, she said, "I need you to help me." So she took me to the back room of the of the gallery. There was a woman that was sitting there, and she was quite distressed. Her face was really red. I could see that she was very emotional. And uh, and then uh, Maxine said to me, "I want you to play the didgeridoo over her body." And um, it was it was amazing because when I started to play, I was playing my own didgeridoo, and I tried to play. She said to play from her. She was sitting in a chair. She said to play from her foot and up over her body and uh, as I went to play I could hardly make a sound and I was breaking into a sweat I was really struggling and I remember stopping and saying I'm not sure what's going on but I'm I can't play and she said it's not you and she got another assistant to go and get a didgeridoo that was uh, over 100 years old that had um, been passed on and uh, she and it was it was really big I couldn't really hold it myself so she got the assistant to hold the end of the didgeridoo and she pointed it at the lady's chest at her heart and then um, I was able to get the note then and so I just started to play and then Maxine started to talk with the woman who had it turned out she'd um, been orphaned as a child and she was in an abusive relationship and um, she didn't know if she could get out of it and so Maxine started to help her um, let her know that she could leave that relationship and that there was help there for her. And as I, I kept playing, I lost track of time. Occasionally she would get me to stop and I'd just have a mouthful of water and she'd uh, smudge the lady and then she, she'd get me to play again. And uh, after a while, um, the woman cried a lot. She cried for a long time. And then after a while, as she started to feel better, to my amazement, the note on the didgeridoo, the sound of the didgeridoo got clearer and clearer and clearer. And and I realised that the sound at the start why I was struggling was because of the of the blocks and the distress that the lady was in. And as, as she was able to help her heal and feel better, the sound got better and it got easier and easier to play. And that was my first experience of using didgeridoo over the body and helping for healing. Mm. That's an incredible story, Shine. For somebody who hasn't had a didge played over them like that, how would you describe the sensation of having one played so close to your body? Yeah, it's the first thing that you notice is the the vibration, and um, you can really feel your body body vibrate. But then the uh, the didgeridoo has a lot of frequencies, a lot of sounds, and um, the, the Indigenous view or the understanding of the didgeridoo is that um, it connects us to higher dimensions because of the sound frequencies. So we have a colour sound spectrum that we can experience as humans, but obviously um, there's tones that are lower and higher beyond our hearing that animals can hear. And, and these are the, um, you know, ultraviolet and gamma rays and 
infrared spectrums and so they they have sound frequencies so the didgeridoo what it does is it expands our perception of those frequencies so that we can be put in touch with higher realms of consciousness and, uh, and that's mm -hmm. what that's what the didgeridoo does they they see it as opening an interdimensional doorway to higher uh, dimensions yeah that's terrific it strikes me as somebody who maybe didn't appreciate the nuance and the subtlety of music and how it, the instruments even can be these incredible technologies for shifting our consciousness or our body or our minds. And yeah, I'm just struck with awe and respect for these cultures that for since time immemorial have been using music and these tools to yeah, promote different ways of engaging with reality. Yes, definitely. It's it's amazing because when you look at all of the different cultures, sound and song, uh, language, you know, it's all connected to the worldviews. That's why there are so many languages and why the music is different. And mm. that's why the cultures and the, and the landscapes are different as well because, as I mentioned earlier, to the Indigenous worldview is that the world is sung into being. So sound and language is an integral part of that worldview. Mm -hmm. And uh, for example, with the Aboriginal cultures, what's called the song lines. Are you familiar with that term? I totally am. I would. I just want to book that for a moment, though, because yeah. I feel like before we go off of it, I want to hear more about um, this experience with Maxime and the other woman. Mm -hmm. um, so before we get to song lines, um, with Maxime and this woman, uh, how old were you at that time? Uh, I would have been twenty-two. 20 yeah around 22 years of age and what was it like for you as a young man to walk into this room uh not knowing what you were getting yourself into and then to be witness and participant and facilitator for someone's what sounds like a really intimate and um sensitive journey yeah i i, I remember as i was playing having the thought you know um to my surprise that I was even there I was I remember thinking this is crazy I'm you know uh, I was barely able to understand it myself however as she was doing the work with the lady and I was noticing the sound and the change the tone pitch of the didgeridoo shifting and getting clearer and clearer I could I could see the effects happening so there was one part of me that was definitely in awe of what was happening and then another part of me that seemed to completely understand as well. Mm. And then to be entrusted with the use of this legendary like ancestral didge, I would imagine that, yeah, it was a moment of really like being present and invited to step up and participate in a big way. Yeah, and it was, um, you know, my... My experience with the didgeridoo when I met the masters, Nigel and Ted, and they put it in my hands, um, I, I found that I uh, had a talent for it straight away. And, and this is where the psychedelics come in because I'd only been playing for about one week and I, I had the circular breathing and I, and I could hear the rhythms in my head. I could hear the music internally and I remember thinking to myself, I think I can do this so I think I can make these sounds and I was uh, with my partner in Fremantle Western Australia which overlook uh, overlooking the Swan River and there's some lime, limestone ca caves there 
And uh, that's when I took the psychedelics and started to play. And my uncle had given me a didgeridoo and uh, I started to play it. And to my utter amazement, I, as the psychedelics kicked in and as I kept playing, what I was hearing internally started to pour out the end of the didgeridoo. And I started to have this, it was like I saw an image of an elder, Aboriginal elder rise up in, my, in front of me and I realised that I had some past life or some ancestral connection to the instrument um, that I'd come from a long line of masters or that it was a gift that I knew before I was born and that I was to remember this gift in that moment in that cave. And um, from that night onwards, I, I had a mastery of the instrument. So I virtually remembered to play. I didn't learn. Wow, shivers. So you're in, did you say it was, sorry, it was limestone? Yeah, little limestone caves. They're, they're along the cliffs of the Swan River. And, um, yeah, there was, I lived not far from them, so I would go and just hang out in there and, and this night with the didgeridoo. Funnily enough, that night that didgeridoo gave to me, when I finished playing that night, it, it split in half. So I only got to play it one time, and it was that time. And then, mm. uh, yeah, I just had a mastery of the instrument overnight. And, and that's when shortly after I met Maxine, who seemed to see that in me. I think she recognised that ancestral connection that I had to the instrument. And that's why she nurtured that gift and encouraged me to use it to help others. Well, that's wonderful. And yeah, if that was the only use of that one, one ditch, then it seems like a good one to unlock your potential. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I would have liked to have been able to play it more, but that's it was meant to be for that one night. Yeah. Well, there's so many places we can go from here. I mean, you have your your the hat you wear of somebody who helps facilitate people's discovery and their healing, but you're also this incredibly talented, masterful musician. Um, which way would you like to go? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll let you lead the way, Blake. It feels it okay. feels good. You know, I'll, I'll let you lead the way, and I'll, I'll if there's things that come up that I think of, then I'll I'll add them in. But uh, I'm For happy sure. with the way it's going to start with. So let's maybe focus on uh, the medicine path for now. And so we have Maxime, and you meet her. How long um, did you apprentice, or whatever you want to call it? Maybe it wasn't so formal. Um, but learning from her or alongside her? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. It was probably six months to a year or may, maybe longer. And, I, you know, I wasn't with her every day because I'd go and um, live, in, um, you know, 60, 80 kilometres away. But I'd go and visit and I'd um, go and spend time with her and, and uh, she'd share with me. She, she saw that everything was connected. So, you know, if you're sitting there having a conversation and a bird flies past, that bird is a part of that conversation. So she was the first person to help me see that uh, the language of nature and mm. our connection with it. And, um, you know, so that, that really opened my mind and my, my respect and love for the, uh, the Australian Indigenous wisdom just continued to grow. And, as I had those experiences like I did in the cave, then, you know, they weren't just words to me. It was, it, it, I felt it as truth. And, and because of those experiences, um, you know, I, I got to live it. 
and it wasn't just out of books or anything. It was it was something that I that I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. I'm reading a book right now by uh, I believe her name is Francois Berzot. Um, she is a uh, somebody who works both in science and in medicine uh, with psychedelics. And she wrote a book called Consciousness Medicine, in which she talks about her apprenticeship with different elders in Mexico uh, with psilocybin. And one of the observations she shared that I hadn't heard put so clearly was the um, indigenous mode of teaching, which is by being an example of the wisdom and less of any sort of like explicit, hey, do this, then do this. Here's a test. How much do you remember? And it's more so just this having people who are learning be beside people who already know. And in that way, there's this osmosis or this practice where they get to see the right way or ways that work. And yeah, I, for myself, I really value that kind of mentorship. So you seem to have been very fortunate to make that connection. Yeah, I I would agree with that for sure. I'm, um, though ritual is important and, um, I, I have a lot of respect for it. I think it's in service to presence and, uh, it is about consciousness and, being um, centered in that consciousness. And then from there, you see the interconnected of everything, including disease and imbalance. And, um, mm. and it is through your practice of your own frequency or your own state of being that you can best help, help others. So I I'm, wouldn't call myself an instructor. I'm more of a uh, plant medicine Sherpa, you might say, through <laughs> having used it many, many times for 30 years and mm-hmm. being able to use various plant medicines in different states of consciousness and then be able to then understand where others are when they take the plant medicines and they're also exploring those levels of consciousness because they are they are places that you can return to. There, There's less of a mystery to them when you experience them more and more, when you uh, navigate through them, then you can return to them at will. And then you're able to help others when they experience them for the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that description you just gave and really resonates with my own experience. Um, One thing I want to highlight here is that uh, when searching for any, if somebody was in a position where they were searching for guidance or somebody to be, uh, trip sitter or whatever we want to call it, somebody with experience with psychedelics, I'd really encourage folks to be mindful of what relationship that facilitator might paint and shine what I just heard you say. And what I feel is also so useful is this kind of humility that's baked into the realization that there is no one person who is capable of making the trip good or doing any such like healing work. It really is a process of co-discovery and exploration, and it can help to have people who are, like you said, Sherpas who've been there before and are familiar with the terrain. And at the same time, I think it's a really good eye or ear to, or really good thing to keep an eye and ear out in case there is somebody who's like, oh, like I'll keep you safe, like just I'll heal you. I I know how to use this technology. That, in my experience, has been a a big warning sign for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think that in, you know, doing healing work for 30 years, I, I can't say that I've 
actually healed anyone myself. Um, incredible healings have occurred. All sorts of healings have occurred. But I can't say that I've put my hand on someone's head and made their disease go away or their pain go away. For a start, um, you know, I acknowledge the role that our pain and suffering and disease has in our own journey. So I'm not here to remove that from somebody. And I don't have that power anyway because of free will. And I respect that law. And I respect that each person is the master of their own self. And I sit in that truth. So um, I try not to interfere with the process, but rather trust that the person um, is doing exactly what they need to to heal themselves. And, and same with the medicine itself. To me, the plant medicines help us connect with our truth. And um, so by trusting somebody and letting go, if you start to interfere with the process, then you're coming from a place of believing there's something wrong with that person in the first place. And if you start to think that you're the one that's doing the fixing or the healing, then it's misplaced. And, um, you know, I wouldn't want someone else to just take my pain away um, because then I've not had an opportunity to learn how it was created in the first place. And it's disempowering. So um, for me, it's, it's the first rule is to uh, I'm not anyone's healer. Mm, and what a good rule that is. Maybe you could expand a little bit more on how music and psychedelics and even things like song, line, uh, song lines and the meaning of life, how these things are all interwoven. Yeah, they are interwoven. I, 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 you know, music is ancient. It's as long as humanity and civilization has been here and, and even nature itself. You know, if you, if you look at uh, bird life, um, it's scientifically proven that the songs of birds open the stomata on the leaves of trees. So it's actually the sound that opens the leaves to receive the sunlight. So sound helps things to grow. If you look at all Indigenous wisdom as well as, um, you know, uh, religious or spiritual wisdom too, sound is at the core of it, you know, um, the song. First there was the word, you know. It's, it all means the same thing. And plant medicines obviously contain the wisdom of, of that truth within them. And to me, plant medicines create a vibration or have a vibration so that when you ingest them, it shifts your vibration, expands your awareness, expands your senses so that you can uh, interact with these higher dimensions or frequencies that I mentioned earlier before that the didgeridoo has an ability to take us into, even without uh, the use of plant medicines. So plant medicines and the songs, you know, if you look at traditions using plant medicines, songs are an integral part of it. Music, music is a big part of it. I find in my own work, uh, the songs and the plant medicines interact with each other and it, it interacts within the body of the person uh, taking the journey. And uh, so, you know, I can't really separate them. And when they're interacting, what kind of effects happen? Like what kind, what's so potent about music or um, I'm thinking specifically in like ceremony settings or in healing practices, what is it about raising our frequency that might help these transformational journeys, these incredible healing experiences that you've witnessed? 
Yeah, well, you know, as I mentioned before, there's in our normal state of consciousness, it's a certain colour sound spectrum that we work within. So we, we've come to call that the third dimension. Um, but there are other dimensions, both um, lower and higher dimensions, that even though we can't see them and hear them, um, they, they exist within and all around us. So the sound frequencies of the songs, they help us enter those higher states of consciousness. And when we do that, we begin to look at our, our disease or our life from a different perspective. And when, mm. when we do that, that's when we're able to shift things. Um, and that's how we can help facilitate healing within ourselves and with others. Yeah, it's, it's incredible to me how that portrayal of uh, the, both the medicine and music, how much that aligns with uh, ongoing discoveries by neuroscience and how we have all this research that's showing that use of um, altered states of being or consciousness really help the brain let go of fixed patterns and to reroute activity to explore sort of this like adjacent or slightly different perspective of the world. And just that flexibility, that new angle is enough to unlock so much creativity, discovery and healing because you're not clinging to what already is known. Yeah, well put. I couldn't have said it better myself. And, and if you look at uh, even modern medicine, you know, ultrasound, you know, they're, they're using uh, sound frequencies as diagnostic tools and healing tools already. And uh, even more non-invasive uh, surgeries and things that are utilising colour and sound more and more. I think in the future, um, that'll be the, the way many surgeries will be done, will be the use of sound. And um, mm. so it's, it's both a very ancient wisdom, but it's also one that modern science and um, medicine is, is starting to really explore. Yeah, fair enough. One of the things that I'm still trying to puzzle out for myself is the difference between recreational use of tools like psychedelics or even music versus intentional, say, ritualized practices. And I wonder what perspective you have on, um, say, coming of age ceremonies or rites of passages or uh, these rituals. Like, why is it that they are so different than more casual or, um, yeah, just informal use? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I do think it's, it's, um, it is intention. I, I think that when we, when we put more, we get out of it what we put into it. So, you know, I've used them in all manners, you know. I've used them at music festivals and recreationally, and I've, I've always gotten something from psychedelics. I, you know, my, my perspective on them is that um, they're helping me to become a better person to become more present in my life, more loving, more kind, um, you know, more compassionate as a, as a human being and uh, being able to live my truth and act from that truth more consistently. Um, so I think you can get benefits uh, in all ways, but then when you do use it intentionally and uh, in a ritualized sense, then um, I think it's far more impactful Um you know, if you look at Indigenous cultures, Australian Indigenous cultures, um, initiations are a big part of that culture. And it, it helps us find our sense of belonging 
and our connection to the universe and why why we're here i think it i think by doing it in an intentional way and ritualistically it helps us ask the more important questions i think it's the asking of those questions who am i why am i here what what is my purpose in life you know how do i find happiness or peace within me how do i make my life better and help the lives of others and uh, obviously when you do it in a ceremonial setting you ask those questions whereas you know recreationally you might not you might just have fun so you, i think it's by bringing your own conscious and presence to it and asking those questions then you're able to receive those answers it's almost as if through our awareness and direct intervention or intention we can modulate or change our frequencies our vibration to maybe move closer towards these um, expanded areas and to discover what lays on the edges of our awareness. Absolutely. You know, I, I know that, I think it's also when, you, if you do it right, you know, in a ceremonial setting, it's safety is really important, you know, being able to make sure that whoever's doing the, the journey feels safe, that they feel looked after uh, physically, um, you know, that they're in, in an environment Obviously, if you take them recreationally and you end up in a place that doesn't feel good or you're with people you don't feel safe with, then it can create a, a negative experience. But if, if, you, uh, if you create a safe environment um, where people know that they're supported, then they can let go and into these places within themselves. And uh, so, you know, the benefits of doing things in a, in a ceremonial way um, you know, is a lot more powerful. Mm. One of the things that strikes me about ceremonies that is one of these features that maybe helps people feel safe is doing it first off on a thing like a mat where people are, the expectation is clear that they are to remain on their small, uh, rectangle. And I find that reducing people's mobility is a really great way of encouraging them to not wander around or seek external stimuli. Um, but I was hoping to get your perspective on the advantages or um, thought process behind doing ceremonies at night. It's something that both in modern settings as well as uh, investigating different traditional approaches to these rituals and ceremonies, I found to be really common. And yeah, it's not always intuitive to me. So why do you think it is that so often it's done at night? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, um, at night it's more introspective, I think, you know, because there's the, the absence of light. So I think it, it um, you know, moves us towards going within more. And uh, I think um, you also are removing a lot of the stimuli or the senses so that we do go within. And uh, same with practicing silence in ceremony. Um, there might not be silence as in this music or sound going, but there's minimal talking or interacting with each other. And so, you know, the more still we become, the more silent we become, then we're able to hear that inner wisdom more. And, uh, you know, those, our senses turn within or it becomes extrasensory rather than just relying on the five senses that we use. Hmm. Yeah, I've found it pretty remarkable that in so many medicine ceremonies that music is 
such a key component of the journey and of the process. And yeah, it, it really seems to be a, have a synergistic effect on the whole thing. Yeah, it does. I've, I've found that we, in, in our eyes, as you've taken part in, you know, we, we have minimal light and we find that's more beneficial. I know, I know in others I'll even use, uh, you know, eye covers and things. Um, and I know in my own um, participating and working with uh, ayahuasca as well, it's uh, in the Shipibo and Quechua traditions of um, being more in a darker space. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think it enhances the experience and it, and it helps us to tune in, you know, and, and listen. So I think listening is, is um, extremely powerful. I, even, even as a musician, uh, developing my listening skills is probably, probably the one that I've put the most work into. I, I think that being a good listener uh, helps, is a very healing um, talent. I, I call it a virtue because when we can sit with others and listen to them, truly listen to them without judgment, um, you know, they, they are able to heal themselves or hear their own wisdom. So listening is a key. And I think having a darkened room or doing it at night enhances uh, that listening skill. Mm. I've been doing some of the courses to do a master's in counseling and so much of the modern research suggests that therapeutic outcome is largely dependent on the relationship and the quality of that relationship. I think almost 80% of therapeutic outcome can be attributed to uh, the kind of connection between the therapist and the client. And yeah, so much of that is due to this warmth and positive regard and the ability and willingness to listen in a good way. I wonder if you have any tips on how you've improved uh, your ability to listen. Yeah, I was, it's funny because um, my father's given me many gifts, and and when I was young, he would he would do exercises with me, and uh, and one of them was a, a listening uh, skill that he passed on, and and I remember him asking me one day to you know close my eyes and and listen. And I was inside, and at first I was describing the sounds of the refrigerator or the clock or, or, you know, my own breathing. But then he said, expand your listening. You know, listen beyond the house. What do you hear? And I was like, oh, I could, I could hear a car going down such and such street and I can hear a dog barking in the distance and I can hear the magpies warbling and there's a bit of a wind outside and, so he, he got me to really develop my listening skills and um, to be able to be really, really present because when we're listening, we go into a receptive state and, uh, and that state of receptivity is where we can receive that wisdom or, or information, uh, both from other people. I, I gain a lot of information from listening to someone and even the tone of their voice, I can tell from their voice, you know, if they're happy or stressed or afraid or angry or, um, you know, or authentic or if they're telling the truth or not, I, I just by listening to somebody. Yeah, such, a, such an incredible skill or set of information that we have available to us and one that I think like breathing can be so easy to pass over quickly without deeply appreciating. Yes. I've also been exposed to this kind of listening exercise that you 
uh, just outlines. In my mind, I think of it as dear ears or expanded awareness mm. and would highly encourage anyone who's listening to this to spend some time both in your home or even if you can outside in a, in a wonderful setting of nature. And yeah, see if you can focus on the sounds that are closest to you. See if you can pick out the sounds that are farthest away. See if you can attend to multiple sounds simultaneously. Exactly. And yeah. Yeah. It's a really fun practice and it has a tangible, at least in my experience, it has a tangible um, impact on how I attend to and notice what is occurring both internally as well as externally in the world. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's uh, as I say, it's a virtue. And the thing is, is, you don't need an education to do it. You can be rich or poor, uh, you know, of any age. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. We all have that capacity to truly listen. And, uh, you know, it's a skill that you can develop uh, yourself and uh, improve your life immeasurably. You know, quite often we think that the way to improve our life is through action and through doing and through words, but uh, being able to be receptive to listen, you know, really that's what meditation is all about. And I think in ceremony and working with plant medicines, uh, listening is, is the sense that uh, we use the most, both in, within and without. How does listening connect with song lines? Yeah, well, the, the song lines are really interesting. It's, um, you know, they, we call them ley lines. You know, we look at power places on earth. Um, this is a description for song lines, but for Indigenous people in Australia, the song lines are like maps. So uh, to walk across the outback to... Um, the song lines would be songs that would be sung. So if it, if it starts from one side of Australia and it, it might have a different dreaming, so it might be dolphin dreaming or kangaroo dreaming, or and it's literally a, a track or a, a walking track that has a song associated with it because a song will describe the landscape. So the song will tell you where the water is and where the food is and it'll tell you where you are. So one one. Uh, cultural group will sing the song line and when they get to the end of their their land that same song line the language might change but the melody will stay the same and it'll be picked up by another language group and carried across to their the end of theirs and so on and so forth and it'll go right across the country and they they crisscross all over the countries so there are ways in which uh, for people who are initiated in the culture to never be lost even in the desert and at night um, it's quite often navigated by the stars but during the day like going across the desert it's it's through songs and the songs will describe the landscape the ancestral connection um, it'll describe how it how it came into being you know, the ancestral beings connected to it as well as food and water sources and how to survive in in the outback so it's almost like maps that are transcribed or recorded through verse. And yeah. these, these songs that refer to the landscape, are they, are they sung as the people are moving? Yes, they are. Yep, they literally sing their way across the country. Well, that would be a wonderful way to travel. Yeah, and, and if you look at it too, with if, if you look at um, 
by singing the land and knowing the connection between the singer of the land and the landscape itself, then by uh, singing to it, you give it reason for being. You acknowledge its um, importance in, in your dreaming or in your reality. So for thousands and thousands of years, helping to also maintain the environment through song, through singing it. Um, that's, that's why the world is sung into being. So these, these songs are passed down. It's an oral tradition. So the songs are passed down from generation to generation and, and through initiation, learning these songs. So wise elders are those that know many, many songs, songs for healing, songs for the land, songs on, um, you know, the animals, um, plants, songs for different plants and how they might heal or the benefits to them. And uh, so there's, you know, countless songs that are learnt by the initiated and um, by doing that for thousands of years, they give the landscape the reason for being, the mountains and the water and the animals. And then, of course, with, um, with colonisation, uh, one of the first things that was done was to remove from the land and to uh, take the language or the songs away. So it's little surprise that when the groups are no longer on the land and they're no longer singing the song lines that the landscape changes and soon they're, cities in their place because of their new songs or new languages from from the western culture yeah i just feeling into how much both awareness as well as connection to the land was lost through that aggressive seizing and monopolizing yeah, and as well as um, stopping languages because the, the languages hold the wisdom and the songs, you know, and it's happened with Indigenous peoples all over the world, you know. Mm -hmm. but, but I also truly believe that these songs or these languages are within us all. They're in our DNA. We're in a time of recreation too, so new song lines are emerging. Um, you know, so we're, we're in a time of change and even though there's a lot of sadness to the past, I still have a lot of hope for the future and, uh, and the, the new world that we're creating. And for you, Shine, as a didgeridoo master and as somebody who has observed the traditional ways of using both ceremony and support and listening and plant medicine, psychedelics, what's your role in helping keep the music alive and create and discover songs? Sorry, I lost you there, Blake. Sure. I was saying for you, as somebody who is a didgeridoo master, someone of no small skill with all kinds of different instruments, and also as the good fortune of learning really potent medicine for listening and helping people through intense periods of their life and also all the ritual and skills that come with facilitating psychedelic journeys or plant medicine experiences i wonder how you're helping uh, keep the song lines alive and keep music and the connection to the natural world going yeah yeah by you know by listening and by playing you know, by being in tune, I, I have uh, great faith, as I say, in, in uh, 
life on earth and in humanity. I'm, I'm an optimist. Um, in my experiences, I, through my own self-realization, uh, you know, I, I realized that, you know, we, we are all eternal. Uh, we're all divine and we're all creators. We create with thought and with word and with action. And uh, so my role is to create, to, to love, to play music and to embody that wisdom that I've come to learn and then um, see it and pass it on to others, see it in others. Um, you know, I'm, I'm all about self-empowerment or self-mastery and uh, hopefully through uh, being a living example of it and, and then also seeing and believing it to be that truth in all that I meet. Hmm. I'll never forget. There was a moment the first time we met in the ceremony together, which you stepped into a role of playing. I, I don't know the name for it, but um, it's a handheld instrument with metal tongs. Um, do you know what that's called? And you can play uh, almost like a piano. Uh, that would be the Santor, I think. Is it Santor. like a dulcimer type instrument or is it? Um, it was... I've got a lot hmm. of them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Maybe actually you could pull one or two out if you're willing to give us a quick serenade. But yeah. I, I remember you um, playing an instrument that was very intentional. And as you played each note, you spoke to your ability to author into reality what was in your mind or what mm. you chose to manifest. And the way you, like a puppeteer, were able to play with the sound as well as your words and deliver poetry. It was really uh, captivating and spoke to, I think, the kind of yeah authorship and ability to shape things that you just described. Yeah, I, I think I remember now. I think it was a, a kalimba or a thumb piano. And, uh, yeah, it's like I say, you know, in my own experience, through my own self-learning and, and seeing how my own life has unfolded, I've, I've come to understand the power of, of the mind, um, the power of our thoughts and, uh, you know, learning how to master ourselves, um, master what thoughts and what words and, and being intentional in our actions and uh, the ability for us to speak or think things into being. And, uh, you know, if you look at all inventors, anyone that's created a movie or a song or invented or created something, it's all begun with a thought, you know, it's, and that's, that's where the seeds of creation come from. So if we can learn to still our minds, to be able to listen to be able to think intentionally and from a higher plane, then then our life becomes a reflection of that. It doesn't matter what beginnings we come from or what we've been through. I think we all have that ability. I think we're all natural creators. I think we're born to create. And I, I think we're all um, instruments of sound or song. I think the human body is a perfect musical instrument. I think that's why we have the voice that we have and we can use that sound intentionally. Once we master ourselves and our thinking and our actions and our words, then there's no limit to um, 
the beauty that we can manifest. Hmm. What tips would you have for somebody who maybe is at a position where they're aware of that or curious or think it's possible, but aren't sure how to instantiate or put it into their own life? Yeah, it's, um, you know, like I said, it's it's a practice of awareness. There's, you know, little wonder why things like meditation have, uh, you know, many cultures and the wisdoms of various cultures are now coming to the foreground. It's like didgeridoo, you know, when I first was playing, there, there weren't many people playing it, especially outside of the Indigenous culture. And the elder Maxine actually said to me, this instrument is a gift from the, the Aboriginal culture and this instrument is going to start being played all over the world. And when it does, it's going to help ring a gong that will help us wake up and bring us down to earth and remember who we are and remember the dreaming. And in, to my amazement, in the last 30 years, um, it's gone from, you know, there was probably 15 or 20 of us that really started to step out into the, uh, around the planet and start to share the information and the instrument. And now there's uh, 100,000 players all over the world. There's 30,000 in Germany alone. It's become huge. And so yoga, um, you know, plant medicine ceremonies, wisdom from all cultures, they're being offered to everybody. And, and uh, so there's many, many tools that you can use. But like I said before, just listening and start to listen to ourselves first and start to actually listen to the truth that is within us. And uh, I, I feel like listening is the starting point. And, um, and you know, knowing ourselves, you know, what is my truth? Am I happy? Am I sad? Am I doing a job I love or hate? Am I in a relationship I love or hate? Am I living where I want to live? Am I doing what I want to do? Am I living my life for myself or for everybody else? You know, and it starts from there. And then when you do that, then you can, as you start to listen to it, and then you can start to live from that place. And, um, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time, even through playing many instruments, listening so that I can still my mind and uh, think what I want to think. You know, the power of our mind is really untapped. And that is the future of humanity is to become masterminds. And uh, when we do that, I believe what we once called miracles will be the norm for humanity. But each of us have to do the work in ourselves to master ourselves, to maximise our potential, to be able to put our mind to work, to create positive things of beauty, to make the world a better place. We all have that capacity because we can all imagine, we can all think, we can all speak and we can all act. So we all have the ability to do it. And, and I, I don't believe that there's one single saviour or messiah. I believe it's a collective messiahship, a collective ownership of the truth of who we are and, uh, and then to start to live from that. So it doesn't matter where your starting point is, um, you can just get started. Well, I pray that this future of masterminds and everyday miracles is soon to come. And I really want to underscore how beautiful the invitation or the emphasis on listening is. 
from the tradition of learning that I come from and with Buddhism, I am, yeah, just it notice how much listening is synonymous with meditation and with mindfulness and awareness of what is going on and how so many different traditions, like you say, regardless of their heritage or whatever name they are referred to by really emphasize the power of this, this practice of listening, of increasing and developing our ability to attend to what is occurring both internally and externally. And for anyone who's in, who is interested in this, I just want to really stress that listening does not necessitate action. I think for a lot of us, we might find that as we listen, we become more clear on what kinds of action could be skillful or useful. If you're really listening to what's going on internally and you find, oh, I'm not comfortable with my job. I'm not comfortable in this relationship. I really don't like where I live. Well, then there's probably going to be a clear sense of how to rectify that, how to move forward in a good way. But it doesn't have to be the case. It might just be that as you listen, you learn some things that maybe at the time won't be entirely clear. But just by listening, I think you are kind of investing in a brighter future, a future where you have more awareness, more degrees of freedom, and ability to, yeah, better shape this future that Shine is talking about, which to my ears sounds like paradise on earth. Yeah, yeah, I, I do believe that we can, you know, my experience of uh, heaven is that it's not a place, it's a frequency, it's a state of consciousness. And if we practice it enough, we can be there at will. Mm -hmm. And e even in the midst of the turmoil that we see happening on earth, you can achieve personal happiness, which is all we've got the power to do to start with, and then to be of service to others where we can help other people be there too. And it's uh, the little things that make the difference. We don't have to go out and, um, you know, be the saviour of the planet or anyone else. We, we just have to listen to that wisdom within and begin to live it. Yeah, what beautiful insights. I wonder it's a lot easier might... too. Yeah, totally. It lowers the bar to entry. I wonder if you might have any um, short songs that you could share with us. Oh, yeah, I'll have to. Uh... <laughs> it's a good question. I've got a, a few instruments around me, but I'm not sure. I could play a bit of didgeridoo, I suppose. You could, or if it's better suited for you, I'd also love to hear what uh, the instruments are that you have a connection to. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I can I can uh, talk about some of the instruments. Uh, it, obviously, starting off with didgeridoo, but I, um, you know, began to learn um, percussion soon after. So, you know, things like djembe and june junes and, um, you know, I, I learned a lot about rhythm and percussion and, that led, led me to then, I've had the fortune of being able to play with and study with numerous masters of, of various cultures, um, such as Mamade Kita, who's a Guinea drum master. I've met and played for Nusrat Fatali Khan, who's a Pakistan uh, Sufi master, Mondo Parazzo, who is with uh, Santana, um, 
Alex Acuna, many, many different masters that I, f- I feel blessed that I got to study and play with. So I, I started to move into understanding um, Middle Eastern sounds, uh, songs from India. So a lot of my instruments that I have, I have uh, African Kora and Ngoni. So I have numerous African instruments. I have uh, Persian instruments like the setar and the tambour. I have uh, um, instruments from China. I have the hang drum. I have the santour. Um, instruments from Turkey. Um, yeah, all over the world. I've, I, I feel like it's it gives them a voice and in working with uh, sounds and frequencies with people, um, having these various sounds from different cultures, they they trigger and open up the, the mind and the body to because they all represent a, a consciousness or a culture or a way of seeing the world. So by playing the various instruments, it helps us get in touch with these um, these other states of being. So, yeah, I've, I keep on collecting them. I'm a real student of music. It is a great love and passion of mine. So I'm always picking up new instruments and learning more and more. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and as somebody who's had the good fortune of seeing you in person, it is incredible the ability you have to play often multiple instruments simultaneously. You're almost a one-man band with yeah, a level of skill that I think focus on any one instrument would be impressive. Um, so I just want to put it out there that if anyone should get the opportunity to connect with you and experience it in the flesh, it is highly recommended. I uh, appreciate that, Blake. It's um, Yeah, well, I guess the wisdom that I feel that I get to share in regards to um, our ability for self-mastery is has been through the practice of playing various instruments um, and the use of psychedelics to help run those neural pathways in, in my body to m- make it um, second nature um, to be able to play multiple instruments. It's, it's through repetition and uh, running those neural pathways um, through the body. So my mastering of myself has been through you know 30 years of practice um not not so much from books or anything but through experiencing it and uh you know and being able to play whilst using psychedelics you know to stay calm and relaxed and um even while navigating various states of consciousness it's it's been through practice Hmm. Yeah, it seems to align, uh, be aligned with the emphasis on the doing that of your use of uh, therapy and of psychedelics, really in this way of living the experience as opposed to talking or reading about it. Yeah, it's um, and uh, you know, you're always improving technique, but technique is in service to presence. You know, it's um, so training the body to be able to play the various instruments. Um, you know, little exercises like I'll play an instrument, but then I'll, you know, talk to somebody or or look at things going by or even, you know, watch something on a TV and play the instrument so that I can uh, make the sounds automated without having to consciously 
do it. And then that allows, it frees up the mind to be able to do multiple things at once. Um, and I'm all about being effortless. So I'm all about letting go of tension. And, and that even relates to listening and being receptive. But, you know, in regards to if people wonder, well, how do I get started on being able to be on the path? And, and uh, I'm one for being effortless of uh, letting go of attachment and, uh, and tension and relaxing everything in the body, letting go of attachment to what people think of what I'm doing and what I'm playing, um, letting go of um, if anyone likes it or likes me or not, just being truly at one with the sound and uh, letting go of everything. So it's a process. It's not really um, goal-driven. It's process-driven, which is to just relax and be effortless and let it flow. This emphasis on the process as opposed to the outcome. I wonder if you can think back to a time in which that was directly relevant to your development or your growth. Um, well, because the, uh, you know, when I first experienced that, that night in the cave where I started to feel myself being played through by something bigger than me, and that's that's how it felt when when the, the music came through the didgeridoo, I, I felt like I was an extension of the didgeridoo and something bigger was playing through me that my body became an instrument itself uh, for a stream of consciousness, much like tuning a radio to a radio station. And that's, that's what it felt like. And when, when I went into that place, then stream of consciousness flowed with it. It came, it came riding in on the sound. So the, the information and knowledge and, and wisdom came with the music that I could hear. And through going into a receptive listening state um, and allowing the music to flow through me. So then, then learning how to do that without tension because the more relaxed I am, the more purely the music flows and the consciousness flows. So um, letting go to any attachment and any goals allowed me to understand that that's what the process is. It's, it's about effortless mastery and, uh, and letting the consciousness flow. I guess you can call it becoming a channel for that higher frequency or wisdom. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that strikes me as something that's not uh, always easy for folks. And it sounds like whether it was through a gift of your ancestry or the blessing of different mentors or teachers, that's something that you were able to really tap into and strengthen your connection with. Yep. And and I also learned the hard way. You know, I, I've, um, I've seen my ego get in the way. And when I have been attached, I've, I've struggle with self-doubt and fear and, and you know, being on stage to 30,000 people and, you know, um, I, I've, I've learned through many, many mistakes and through being attached and through self-doubt, I've, I've learned as much from that as when it does flow through me. And uh, fortunately, that's how I come to understand that to... Uh, to, that it is a process of relaxation and that it doesn't matter where I start and it doesn't matter where I finish. All I have to do is be present and relax. And, um, and then it, it, you know, the more I do that, the more I tune in and it begins to flow without any effort on my part. 
And especially when you do let go of results, and especially when you let go of, like understanding that I don't heal anyone, that everyone is their own master or guru. That's, I don't heal anyone. I'm not the savior. I'm not the messiah. I wouldn't want that job anyway, to be honest. I, I believe we, we're all capable of, of bettering ourselves and bettering our lives. And when, when I fully understood that, then all of the attachment and all the tension and all the effort and all the trying to make things happen all left. It all went with it. And uh, it was a lot happier place for me, I can tell you that, for a start. And then it, it helped the music flow and, and then I, you know, it helped me be able to serve others better because I... I was not getting in the way. Mm. Honestly. From, from all this, I'm hearing an emphasis on effortlessness of doing the thing that is simple and that engages you with reality, even if that's just listening and really paying attention to this reality that's woven through everything and the natural world, the rhythms, the landscape, the dreaming and yeah i think it's such a there's a real beauty in the simplicity as well as the profundity of how easy it is to speak about these things and yet at least in my experience the more we invest ourselves in them the more layers that we uncover and the more buttons and levers we get to play with and experience the world in all its richness yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, it's a, it's you know what I saw in my own life is you know going through the phase of um, you know wanting to be heard and wanting to be seen and <clears throat> wanting to be acknowledged and wanting to feel that sense of belonging. But as I journeyed along and went through many life lessons and and uh, you know I also saw the value in being nothing at all. Um, that um, and being okay being nothing to anyone or to anything and that allowed me to be effortless because I let go of any attachment and uh, you know that takes us into a place I guess where we where we become a bit more humble with uh, who we are so I don't need I don't need anyone to to know what I know I don't uh, need to be seen or prove m my truth as correct or I'm happy to be nothing. And, I, and I, I learned that, especially working with ayahuasca and playing in ayahuasca ceremonies because uh, I, would, I would play a lot for them and, and um, a lot about when I wasn't there to play or anything, I, would, I learned to just lie back and relax and, and uh, let go of any any anything and everything and then you know I was scared I would say shine you know would you mind chanting or would you play a song and so then I'd sit up and I'd let the song come and the song would come through and then I'd go back to being nothing again and and I, I learned it's one of the things that I see with psychedelics and and uh, psilocybin is and I'll quite often describe it to people and, and even in physics where we see that uh, reality is both particles and waves. And when, when things are in particle form, they're in a solid um, shape. So we come to describe our reality, floor, door, chair, you know, who I am, 
my own story, my own description of myself, that's when I'm in particle form. But when things move out of form, it goes into a state of uh, potentiality or what we call a waveform. And that's what reality does. It, it, it goes from waveform to particle form and, and backwards and forwards. So I learned how to see that when I'm in a state of action or expression, I move into particle form. When I let go of attachment and be still and go into a state of listening, I move into a waveform, which means I become nothing. And uh, learning to be happy being nothing and doing nothing was, uh, was the big piece of the puzzle that I needed to be able to uh, understand my place of, uh, uh, on this earth and in life. Beyond actively listening, is there anything, any resources or maybe teachers or uh, things that you could point someone towards to uh, deepen their own relationship with nothingness? Yeah, well, it's, um, you know, it's, it's for every person themselves to, um, to figure that out. You know, I, I know that I've, you know, on that path of understanding that for myself, but, you know, I, we can look to other teachers and other living examples, but I believe we're all capable of understanding this within our own selves. Um, I think that it's a, a phase of maturation I think that when we're young, um, it's natural for us to develop a healthy ego. Um, it's natural for us to uh, want to become something or someone. I think that time and life and things that you go through, love and loss and, and trauma and, and various experiences that you go through, uh, humblings, which I've had many, many ego deaths, um, you know, which have been countless, they've all taught me. So in some ways, life will teach you these things. You just, you just got to be open, um, you know, some people are more naturally like that. Uh, other people might have to learn some more life lessons. But, um, you know, all, all I know is that it's become something that I've become aware of and learned how to do. And probably when I was younger, you know, my ego is huge and I wanted everyone to hear me early on playing didgeridoo. I wanted to be on every stage. I wanted everybody to love me. You know, I, they were some of the humblings and lessons that I had to learn along the way. Realise that not everyone, it's like in ceremony, I might be playing music and one person thinks I'm the greatest and wants to kiss my face, feet and someone else in the same room wants to punch me in the face. And, uh, you know, um, so I've learned how to take it all, not be attached to either. And uh, I think it's been through my life, living my life, that I've come to understand these things. I'm not sure what anyone else can do other than to live their life authentically, but perhaps become aware of the power of silence and stillness and the potency of being nothing and how powerful that is, um, you know. I don't know if any book can tell you that. I think life teaches you that. Yeah. I'm just going to put a little plug here that one thing people might be able to do is if you have access to it, find somebody who is, or who is competent at playing the ditch and uh, do some sound healing. Yep. Sound healing is good for sure. Or start playing, you know, learn how to play one. 
Yeah, even um, better. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've taught people of all ages, and you know, I'm I'm happy to teach. Uh, there's some, you know, many great masterful players um, around. You can definitely seek one out. Playing musical instruments is is tremendous. Um, art, dance, singing, painting. You know, creating everything. Even being being a uh, you know carpenter. And look and look honestly. You know, I I practice presence whether I'm doing the dishes or cooking food or looking after my daughter or my partner or, you know, being I go back home to Australia and I've I've been living overseas for 25 years and uh, I'll go back home and my family's not worried about oh well, what have you done and what have you learnt and who are you they they just want to see me as the person they've the son the brother the the friend that I've always been to them and. So when I go home, I, I don't need to tell them, you know, what I've learned or what I've experienced. I just go back home to just be present with them in, in their life and in their world. And, uh, you know, so you can practice these things. doesn't matter what you're doing. You know, that sign of humility will be what will make us go to the park and pick up the garbage, you know. It'll, it'll be what will help us help friends in need or to be a good listener you know, to be a better person. And it's the little things, the little things that make the big change. We, we don't have to be the person that invents something. Like I said, we don't have to be the saviour of the planet. Just, you know, serve where we can and, and try and do it with, with humility. Yeah. Well, thank one, you so much. Yeah. yeah uh, one more thing I'll say is uh, playing with other musicians or in a band, uh, anyone that's played, with other artists and other musicians, you learn how to play with each other and you learn to listen to each other and, and you learn the benefit of helping the other mus musicians sound better. So it's not about trying to be the one that everyone hears the most or is better than all the other artists. The best musicians, the most masterful the ones are the ones that make everyone around them sound better and, and uh, I think that's a metaphor for life too. How do we help others feel better about themselves? And, and by being nothing, being happy to be nothing helps us move into a place of service so that we can help, help other people see their beauty rather than trying to get other people's to see ours. Hmm. It reminds me of uh, a piece of advice I got once from a couple who were in their 80s and they'd been together for 50 some years and i asked what the secret to a happy and healthy marriage because when i watched them i could just see that they were both very present and vibrant with life and they took a moment and they looked at each other and smiled and they looked at me and in unison they said the secret is loving the other more than you love yourself yeah yep there's something about that. I, I agree with that. I guess that's the short way of saying everything that I've been talking about. Mm. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, Shine, and I really appreciate all the wisdom and perspective you've shared here. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Blake. And uh, thanks for your wisdom too, mate. I, I wish you all the best and thank you for this platform that you're providing for people. I think, I think it's, a, it's tremendous. So I wish you all the best with, um, with this. And uh, I look forward to talking with you and seeing you again before long. Yeah. 
I wonder just before we go, if you have any invitations for the audience or anything for them to check out. Um, yeah, you can uh, send me friend request on Facebook. I, I have to admit I'm, I'm not the sharpest when it comes to self-promotion or um, so send a friend request on Facebook and uh, come say hello. Uh, I have a, I don't know if you have my email, but um, my email is shine didgeridoo, D-I-D-J-E-R-I-D-U at gmail.com. So people can reach out and if they want to learn more about the uh, the healing work with, with plant medicines or even just with the sound, um, they're certainly welcome to get in touch with me. Wonderful. Well, yeah, thanks for all the music and the vibration shifts that you bring to the world and your emphasis on presence and listening. It really is a gift. Thank you so much, Blake. Catch you later. Best to you, brother. Yep. See you, mate.